Welcome to the podcast of C3 Church with today's message. Hallelujah. So this morning we're going to talk about a little bit about how God has an individual place for all of us. And the, the anointing that he has on each one of our lives. So this morning we're going to talk about achievers and leaders. All right, so for those that were here, uh, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to add on to it, but I'm going to go a little deeper as we look at this a little bit because God is calling all of us to be achievers and leaders. Yeah? Hallelujah. All right, y'all, let me go ahead and pray really quickly, and then we'll read the scriptures, and then we'll get into this. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I say thank you, Father, Lord, this morning, Father. Lord, I say that I am an instrument in your hand this morning, Father. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you use me for your glory. Lord, that I might speak only what you would have me to speak, Father, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word, Father, Lord, that it brings edification to our spirits, Father, and it gives us life. For you said, Lord, that we're born again of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, Father. So we give you the glory, we give you the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to start at Hebrews 11 and 1, and then we're going to jump down to 6, and then we're going to go over to James. Amen. Familiar scripture, but I want to read it because um, there's a piece in here that I think sometimes can be overlooked. And it's very easy to overlook things when you just run through it. I'm very guilty of that. I read something, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. And then I go back and read it, and I'm like, how did, how did I miss that? Completely ran right over top of it. Amen? Okay. So, 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, the, the key word here is evidence. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But evidence is important. That's what everybody claims they want to have, is evidence of something. Well, how do I know that happened? God is saying there's plenty of evidence. The question is, do we know it's there? All right, jump down to six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. So he's a rewarder. And it's impossible to please him. That, that's pretty ambiguous there, right? I mean, like, there is no in-between there. Either we walk in faith or we don't. We're going to talk about faith again a little bit as well because there's actually two types of faith. Amen, amen. James. James 2, and we're going to start at uh, verse 21. It says... Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see the faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scriptures were fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by his works and not by faith only. Amen. Hallelujah. 
So we got to have something else that goes on with our believing. Just sitting still and believing ain't enough. And if we're doing that, then we're missing the opportunity to, for God to change us into achievers and leaders. So I wanted to talk about faith to start out because we have to have faith to even elevate to this level. And if we're not operating in it and we're not stepping out in that faith, then how are we achieving anything for the kingdom? By definition, an achiever is somebody that is doing something. Yeah. So about a couple weeks ago, Apostle Holiday talked about this. He talked he had a message about stakeholders, right? And we talked about it in the sense of that everyone in the church should be a stakeholder. That there should be some value that they're adding to the kingdom of God because they are there. And if you're not doing that, then you have to ask this question of, are you really a stakeholder? He said that too many churches have people that are just sitting in there sucking up the resources. That's what he said. Right? I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. He said it. Right? But when I thought about that, we don't even like that in the natural. If you got somebody that is always asking you for money. Right? Every time you hear from them, hey, hey, can I get a, can I get a couple dollars? Right? You don't even like it in the natural. So how is God supposed to feel about that when people just come in here to get from him but don't want to be a part of the true vision of the kingdom? God is not asking anything that we wouldn't ask. Amen? So when God calls us to be a stakeholder, that's because we have a place, a purpose, and a plan in him. And in that, we also get the calling and the anointing that he has for us. Because sometimes people want the anointing and the call, but they're not in place. Well, how are you going to get that if you're not here? We got to be in place. And as God continues to reveal that purpose and that plan, then the anointing comes. Then he equips you to do what he has now said you should be doing. <laughs> All right. So here's the vision level that Apostle Holiday talked about. I'm going to run through them real quick because I want you to see them. And he said, wanderers are people that never see it. So he's talking about people that come into the church but really don't get a good understanding of what the kingdom is about. They don't see it. So he said, those people tend to be wanderers. They chopping from church to church a lot of times. They're in and out. You see them for six months, they out for six months. Right? They're just kind of wandering around, no type of direction. All right? Then the next set is followers, people who see it but never pursue it. So he says something about people that come in and they see what the kingdom is about, but they really don't engage themselves about it. And when you don't engage, then you can't pursue. The Bible talks about us apprehending that which one that has apprehended us. So that means there should be some type of pursuit from us. So now we're getting into more of a personal thing. This is, I just come to church. <laughs> I see what other people are doing, but I'm not going to go home and read my word. I'm not going to go home and study. I'm not going to go home and pray. I'm not going to do these things to get closer to God. I'm just going to see other people and make sure I'm kind of in the mix. All right. So then we have achievers, people who see it and pursue it. 
So now we're, now we're gaining some ground. Now it's a personal thing. We got to get to a point where we want God just as much as he wants us. And he wants us a whole lot. Amen? And then lastly is leaders, people that see it, pursue it, and help others see it. Now here's the great thing is, is that leadership is not talking about necessarily being a leader, quote unquote, in a ministry. If you are engaging people to get them to see the love of Christ, then you are operating in a leader. Because you are helping. It's not just about what you see and are doing. You're trying to pull somebody with you. Right? Now, here's the great thing about being a leader. You're not responsible for what that person does either, though. So we shouldn't be evaluating whether or not we're a good leader based on if the person actually did what you said or took the advice or the good counsel, as the Bible says, right? But we shouldn't, that shouldn't deter us when people just say no. It isn't deterring God. People are saying no to him all the time. <laughs> Even some people in the church. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. All right, so as we start talking about this, one of the things that came up as I was kind of looking at this and God was kind of downloading this is that we have to be fully persuaded, guys. There is no time for half-stepping. There's no time for us to be, are we really sure that God is who he says he is? Are we sure that God can do what he says he can do? Those days are over. We have to be fully persuaded that there is no other true and living God. We have to be fully persuaded that he is a healer. We have to be fully persuaded that he is a provider. No wishy-washiness. All right? 2 Timothy 1 and 12 says, For this reason I have suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am fully persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So this is Paul talking, and he's saying, I'm fully persuaded that God can do what he says. It doesn't matter what I've suffered. It doesn't matter what I've been through. It doesn't matter what I've seen. It doesn't matter how many people walked away. It doesn't matter that that didn't work out for me. He says, I'm fully persuaded that in spite of all of that, God still says, I can do it. That's a different level of resolve that we got to get to. As I know for me, I've stumbled and like, man, God, I don't know, man. I don't want to be doing this. This just ain't working. God says, well, yeah, that's because you're trying to do it in your strength. Right? That's, that's what he told me. Not y'all, me. <laughs> right? Say, you're leaning too much on you. Lean more on me. Right? And sometimes I'm looking at things that are out here. Right? Those are the resources. Those are the things. Those are the tools I need. Those are the relationships I need. And God says you should be reaching in. Right? 
because the kingdom of God is within us, right? The Bible tells us that it's not here or there. You can't point at it. You can't look at it. The kingdom of God is within us. So why are we looking out there to get the stuff we need? God says we need to look within. Elder talked about this a little bit last week. Talked about that purse for those that were here, right? The purse we go in, and he was equating it to a, uh, a game show where they ask a question, what do you have in your purse to get some type of task done, right? I'm, I think I remember that right because I, I haven't personally looked at the show. But, right, and he talked about that we should be pulling in, and God says there's a purse within us that we should be pulling at, right? That all the gifts and talents and things, anointings, callings, all of that stuff is in the purse. The purse is in here. So that's where we need to be looking for the right instruments guided by the Holy Ghost. Okay, all right. So I mentioned to you that there are two, two types of faith. Right? So when I started looking at this a little bit, I found this. Two types of faith. And we're going to look at the Greek. So the first one is pistis. Faith, assurance, belief. Believe. Them that believe. Fidelity. All right, all right, so now I'm going to try to say this, guys. I've been practicing, okay? So don't laugh at me. <laughs> Ali got pissed this. All right, so I think I got it out. I'm not going to try it again. That's close. <laughs> <laughs> Lacking of faith, incredulous. And an example of this is when Jesus says, oh, ye a little faith, he's actually saying this word. That's amazing that you can have the opposite of it. When you don't believe in the truth, you're operating in the opposite of faith. Man, y'all know that? I was like, man, God, are you serious? So the question is, is that this has to come through operating in truth and understanding the truth and who God is so that we don't fall into the second category. All right? I was like, dang, Jesus. Lord, you told him that? I didn't, I didn't really equate that, that that's what he was saying. But when you look it up, lacking. So he said when he looked at that person, he found fault. So I said, Lord, don't allow me to be that person. Hallelujah. All right. So as we start, as we continue to look at this, I want to go back over to Hebrews because it talked about that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen or not seen, right? Right? So when we think about that, when you think about a court of law, there's evidence that they want in the court, right? There are two main types of evidence, physical evidence, and eyewitness evidence, all right? They want both if they can get it, right? Now, they want the eyewitness account more than they want the physical. The physical can be altered, 
can be, right? So I'm not always, but can be, right? So just because something looks like physically it happened doesn't necessarily mean that it did. However, if you have someone that witnessed the account and they say, I was there, I saw it. Now, unfortunately, our world has gotten so immoral that you have people that lie. But let's just assume that we don't have that. Right. So you have someone that says, I was there and I saw it. All right. All right. So have you all ever heard of people saying that Christianity is a blind faith? Has anybody ever heard that? I, I want to know how do we how does that person know that it's a blind faith? Because there's no way that it is. We don't believe in a God because of blind faith. We have physical evidence and we have eyewitness evidence. We've got both. So many accounts that we, they can't even be numbered. So if someone is saying that there's no evidence that Christianity is true, they're lying. All right. So what physical evidence? Every miracle that Jesus did is physical evidence. It happened right in front of somebody. Someone got healed. Someone got delivered. Someone got set free. Right. That's physical evidence. Right. Flesh. So everything that he did while he was on the earth, not even counting once he did when he was in heaven up until this day. So every person that has been healed in this sanctuary is physical evidence that the gospel is true. So you got to know that. You are the physical evidence. All right. Eyewitness evidence. Acts talks about that he showed himself for 40 days through infallible truth speaking about the kingdom. That's an eyewitness account. Those individuals saw the risen Lord. All right. First Corinthians 15. It talks about how he was seen by 500 brethren at one time. 500 folks. So, but people claim that's not true. Now, so let, let's get into this because <laughs> people, they'll, they'll come up with stuff, right? They'll say, well, maybe they, maybe they were hallucinating. Maybe they were making it up. So now we have to bring, unfortunately, you got to bring in a little bit of science. We're not going to go too deep, but it is scientifically impossible for 500 people to hallucinate about the same thing at the same time. So if you've got 500 people saying that they saw the risen Lord, then they saw him. You can't fallacy that away. But people will try. Okay. How about this one? They overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So, guys, this is why our testimonies are so important. Because when we testify about the goodness of God, we then become eyewitnesses of who he is. If we don't say anything, people don't know. So not only is it good for the church, it's good for everybody that we run into. Because now what we've just done is, is we made ourselves the evidence for our Lord. 
So when we do this, we should have so much evidence about what God is doing. People should be walking up to us saying, there is no way there is not a God. So um, some of this falls on us. That means we ain't talking about what the Lord is doing enough. We're not changing what we're, we're not changing our message. We're not doing any of that. All we're doing is presenting people with what they're asking for. Because they're quick to bring it up. Well, you ain't got no evidence that work. Yeah, me. I don't need any more than that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Evidence. So just know that we have evidence. I didn't even hit all of it. I mean, you can do science, you can do history, you can do all of it. It's all there. You got Jewish historians that wrote about Jesus. They didn't even believe who he was. In the faith directly, right? That he was the Lord, the Son of God. But they wrote about him. So hold up. You got people that didn't even follow him that wrote about him, but he wasn't true. Makes no sense. But you'll pick up a book from college and you'll believe that mess that you can't even look at and know what they're saying to you. All right, guys. <laughs> All right. Y'all ready? All right, so we're going to talk about four qualities of achievers and leaders. All right? So let's go over to Genesis 22. We're going to read some scripture now. We're going to read. Hallelujah. Y'all all right so far? Okay, all right, yeah. Amen. So we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read quite a few of these verses, and then we're going to discuss them a little bit here. All right, so Genesis 22 and 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mount, land of Moran and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. All right, so we're, we're familiar with the scripture. Um, you know, he has to take Isaac up, and well, let's see what happens here. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled the, his donkey and took two of the young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood on the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which he had told. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the bond offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the bond sacrifice? And Abraham said, My son, God provide, well, will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went up together. All right. Amen. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit. So the first one is fully believe God even when you don't understand all the details. All right, so I know a lot of the times I want to know all the details. I want to know stuff. I'm a planner by nature. I got to know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. But sometimes God just doesn't like, 
doesn't play along those lines. He shows you a piece of something and this tells you to go ahead, right? So very much like he did Abraham. Abraham, when he left, didn't even know where he was going. He just told him, stop going. Well, how do I even know I'm going the right way? Don't worry about that. Just go. Right? So he didn't know before he got there. Okay? So when we say God, nobody understands. Yes, he does. All right. So the, the thing is here is, is that a lot of times this scripture talks about, people talk about Abraham. But I'm actually going to talk about Isaac a little bit. Now, we understand that this was a test for Abraham because he was the father. All right? But one of the things that came to me was is that I kind of wondered, during this whole event, you never see Isaac balk. He never says, Dad, you going you gonna to put me on this thing? That got me to thinking, well, wait a minute. This is just as much about Isaac's faith as his father's faith. Now, you got to put this in perspective, though, right? Abraham's 100, well, over 100, right? Because he had him when he was 100, right? So he's over 100 years old. So get this in your mind now. You got a 100-year-old-plus man with a young man. And I'm looking at this like, well, if Isaac really didn't want to go through with this, he could have got away from his daddy. I mean, that's what came to my mind, right? If worst case scenario, he could have ran, because right now, I can't chase none of these kids. Go right ahead. I'm going to be out of breath about one block. All right, that's enough. That's it, right? So at 100, I know that if his Isaac really wanted to get away, he could have. That's what I want you to see here. But why didn't he? Right? So the other thing that kind of popped out to me, um, when you read this, it says that he... In verse 5, it says, And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. So I looked that word up, lad. Because to me, at first, I'm thinking a young kid. You know, eight or younger. That's kind of what came to my mind. But when I started looking at this a little bit, Isaac had to be older than that. And here's why. How is he going to carry the wood for a whole altar if he's only eight? So now, this brings a whole lot more in evidence to what I'm saying about the fact of that this is about Isaac, too. Because now he's not just a little kid. He's probably at least a teenager. He's big enough to carry the wood of an altar. So in Hebrew, that word lad is not air, not air. Every reference I saw, it said young men. So I'm thinking 13 to 20, somewhere in that range. So now you've got a 13 to 20-year-old with his daddy that's over 100 years old. And he said, Daddy, we're, 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 what are we going to sacrifice? <laughs> Abraham says, well, God will provide. And right after that, he puts him on there. So now we know and understand that Abraham didn't have all the details, but he still fully believed God. Because if we go over to Hebrews 11, right, and we go further down in the scriptures, it talks about how he's in the hall of fame of faith because he believed and put his son Isaac on the altar, knowing that if he even died, that God could bring him back. That's what the scriptures say. 
But what's interesting is, is that God challenged me on the fact of that sometimes we might be in relationships with someone else that is going through something. And they might need a little nudge in their faith and need someone to come alongside them. But to come alongside them, I might have to give up something. See, for Isaac, it would have been his life. God asked me the question, are you willing to come alongside someone else and help them believe in their faith? But it's going to cost you and you don't get anything. Because that's the equivalent of what Isaac did. He ain't getting none out of this. Now, we know what God ended up doing, right? But at the point of when they were doing it, they didn't know that. But they believed. So how big was Isaac's faith? I truly believe his faith was so strong because his daddy's faith was so strong. So what does that speak to? That speaks to the relationships that we have. Sometimes we should be able to look at someone else that we have a relationship with and see what God did for them and know that God will do it for us. We don't need any more than that. Isaac didn't need any more than that. He knew it because he had an intimate relationship with his daddy. And if his daddy said God was going to do it, then God, Isaac was like, okay, let's go. So we have to build those relationships in the church. That's why it's important that we lean on each other. And it's got to be more than just, hey, hello. Now, hear my heart here. I'm not saying that you're going to be this close and intimate with everybody. That is not what I'm saying. But there should be somebody. Because what happens if you end up in a situation like Abraham? You don't even have anyone close enough that you can confide in. Amen. Amen, amen. So first quality is to fully believe God even when you don't understand the details. Amen. Y'all ready for the second one? Hallelujah. Go to 1 Kings 19. Uh, we're going to read uh, 19 and 20. We're going to go over to the prophets Elijah and Elisha. I'm going to talk about them a little bit. Okay. Y'all there? All right. So it says, so he departed from, the, from there and found Elisha, the son of Shepherd, and who plowed with 12 oxen on ox before him and was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he let the ass and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. Amen. All right. So the second one is, is that we got to be able to accept the mantle that God has given to us. We have to accept the mantle that God has for us. Now. We're going to talk about this a little bit here is because there's some very specific things that Elisha did. First of all, the Bible never says that he knew who Elijah was. 
Now, that's the first thing. So you got a random person that just comes up to you and throws the mantle on you. All right, so the mantle, when you look that up, is a Hebrew word for like cloak, a coat, right? But it's indicative of the calling and anointing of someone, right? So basically what Elijah did was he threw his anointing and calling on Elisha. Elijah immediately knew what that was and said, I will follow you. So the first thing God asked me is, is that how many times have I asked you to do something and you didn't immediately do it? Now, you might ask the question, well, God hasn't thrown me a mantle. I beg to differ. <laughs> I almost guarantee that everybody in this room that is at an age of understanding, God has thrown you a mantle. So we're going to talk about it real quick. So here's, here's, here's how this looks. Oh, we didn't had a great service. The fire of the Holy Ghost is here. Everybody is coming up for prayer. We're, we're loving it. We're in there. Thank you, Lord. We get prayed for, and God says, you know what? You're supposed to preach the word. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Wait, 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 what? You come completely out of the spirit. Hold up. You want me to do what? What was that? That was God throwing the mantle. He said, that's you. But in the spirit, a lot of us was moonwalking away from that altar. No way, Lord, that ain't going to about to happen here. I don't want any of that. Yeah, I called you to be a teacher. No, no, I don't even like kids. <laughs> no, no, Lord, that ain't it. That ain't it. Uh-uh, uh-uh. No, I don't want that one. So, <laughs> right? So God has thrown all of us a mantle. The question is, is how did we react when we received it? So this is why it's important that we have to accept what God has given us. Elisha completely obeyed immediately and started following his mentor. No questions asked. Oh, gosh. You know how many questions I asked God about me being up here? Well, <laughs> at least 40. I don't want to even scare y'all how many I asked. I'm like, no, nah, that ain't happening, Lord. That ain't happening. Right? So sometimes we do receive it good, but other times we don't, if we're really honest. Right? So, the question is, is that when that mantle gets thrown on you, are you ready to obey when you hear it? Because maybe it is something that you're, you're okay with, you know, initially, right? But when does God tell you to go deeper? See, all of that is a new level of the mantle. So he's reestablished. He's, okay, you got that part. Here's the next piece. Oh, Lord. You said I preached the word, but you didn't say I had to be a pastor of a whole church. See, see, see what I'm saying? Let's see. See that all oh, look, look, Diane's face is a, there it is. That's the face God, that's the face we see God sees from us. Well, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought that was gonna stop right here. No, no, this is the next piece. <laughs> Amen. Oh man. So the other thing that God showed me about this mantle and this anointing that's pretty awesome 
So I'm going to try to make sure I, I explain this so it makes sense. But I'm going to read two scriptures to you really quick first. The Romans 13, 14, it says, but put the Lord Jesus, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to fill to fulfill its lust. And over in Galatians 3, 27, it says, for as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So he's talking about putting something on. We should be wearing the Lord Jesus is what he's saying. All right. We got at least two scriptures. So now we got two witnesses. So we got it. Right. So when you think about this anointing in a cloak, remember, Elijah threw it on Elijah. So he was wearing it. So now I want you to think about something. When you go somewhere that's radioactive, we went over to Chernobyl and we went into that reactor that blew up. You wouldn't just walk in there with your flesh. Right. They would give you some type of suit to wear. Right. So what God said to me was, is that sometimes we hurt ourselves when we don't accept the mantle. Because sometimes we're going to be in areas that are radioactive to our spirits. But because we don't have the mantle on, there's no barrier of protection for you and what you're in. So you walking around wondering, why is this all affecting me? Because you got the mantle open. It's like a coat. If you go outside and it's cold outside, the weather hits the coat first before it hits you. But if you don't have any coat on and you just walk on out there, then you feel the effects immediately. God said that's how the anointing works, too. We get to operate in it, too, but it also protects us. <laughs> so we need to have it on because the word tells us to put on the Lord Jesus. Well, when we put him on, we get all of it. But if we reject it. So not only are we not going forward in the kingdom where God wants us to be, we're also unprotected in some areas where we would have it. So I'm trying to illustrate here how important this is, is that when God gives us this mantle, whatever it is, the calling, the purpose, the plan, when it comes, we got to receive it. That's the only way that we can be achievers and leaders. Because what are we achieving if we don't accept his call? What, what are we doing? We're piddling around. We're doing church and not being the church. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. So we have to fully embrace the mantle that he has for us. All right, y'all ready? All right, let's go to number three. First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17, we're going to read 38 and 39. So I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to give a little batch events on what's going on here. I think all of us are familiar with it, but we're going to talk about it anyway. All right. Everybody there? All right. So it says, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I, have, I cannot walk in this for, and these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Amen. 
All right, so the next one is, is that don't try to walk in someone else's anointing. All right, so where this comes up is, is that sometimes we can get a little envious and a little jealous because we feel like we should have got something that somebody else got. I'm going to say it, I know, because I have. I don't really want to be up here, but I'd like to do that, Lord. Right? So what I'm trying to do is make a swap. <laughs> right? God, come on, man. Look, let me, let, me, let me get some of that. Work this out for me. I don't want to be up here. Right? Now, God, you know what the answer to that was no. But, right? But trying to walk in someone else's anointing. So when David comes up, so let's give a little bit of back history here. What's going on? So David's out there in the fields. He's tending to his father's sheep. Father calls him in and says, hey, go take your brother some lunch. So he comes up on the battlefield. And he comes up there, he hears Goliath, right, the Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine yelling at the army of Israel saying, you can't do nothing about me. Send somebody out here. So David walking up like, what's going on in here? Like, what, what, what y'all doing? So David gives a little bit of righteous indignation, right? He gets mad. He's like, look, come on, man. We serve the true and living God. Why are y'all standing here listening to him? He said, let's, let's just cut to the chase. I'll go take him out. That's what he said. He said. I'm paraphrasing, guys. But, you know, that's basically what he said. Now, Goliath had been out there 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time to hear somebody's mouth Or somebody you don't even like. Now, I, <laughs> any of y'all got to talk to the kids in here? Oh, now I know y'all love them, but after a while, you're like, "Come on, please, can you please?" Right? This ain't even that. This is somebody that hates you, that is antagonizing you that's beating you up verbally saying how worthless you are. That's what he was doing in front of everybody. So David gets mad and says, look, man, come on. He says, you know what? When I was out with the sheep, I was out there with the bear, I was out there with a the lion. I'd take him. Now, they try to talk him out of it. So I said, nah, man, you, you can't do this. Don't worry about it. And he says, well, at least if you're going to do it, after he got talked into it, he said, well, if you're going to do it, Put, put on my stuff. Right? So now what we got to be careful of is that when someone says to do it like they do it. <laughs> Just because it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. That's where you have to be confident in the call and anointing that you have. Not in anybody else. Because if you open that door, you might be in trouble. Now, what David said here was key. He said, I hadn't tested it. Wait, oh gosh. They don't even make weapons and they don't test them before they put them out. So you're going you gonna to have some type of anointing that you feel like you need, but you haven't even tried it. Let alone if you can do it. Let's just say you can do it, right? So we know you can. But what I'm saying is, if you could, you, you're going to do that. 
You haven't even walked in it any. So David says, no, I, I, I can't do this. You know what I have that I've tested? Give me my slingshot and my five smooth stones. That's all I need. Well, he knew it worked. So now we're going back to the evidence. So God says the anointing should have some evidence behind it. When you go out into whatever battle it happens to be, even personal ones, you should have some evidence that your anointing is on you. And if you have evidence, then you don't need somebody else's. Well, what happens is sometimes is that people see the other anointing, they like that one better, but they don't even try the one they got. God says, go minister to that person. I don't want to do it, Lord. You just forfeited an opportunity to walk in the anointing that he has on you. All you need is your stuff. So now, to talk about Elder Elvin again, you got your own purse. You got your own stuff that God has given you. You don't need anybody else's. Hallelujah. All right, one more, one more. All ready for the last one here? Let's go over to Job. 42. Uh, Job 42 and 10. That's, we're only going to read one scripture here. And it reads, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. <laughs> Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. All right. So the last one here is, is that don't think it's strange that God can do greater than what you've already seen. Now, so Job went through a whole lot of stuff. Job is pretty high for me because I don't know that I could have went through all of that. Uh, pretty much, if you can think it, it happened to him, right? So he, he lost his kids. He lost his money. He lost his, his family. He lost, you know, his wife turned on him in the middle, and she, she was supposed to be helping him. He, she said, look, you need to curse God, God and die. I mean, she, she was just point blank with it, right? Then he gets sick. He almost dies from boils and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? He's got everything you can think of. But on the other side, God gives him double. Now, the interesting thing here is, is that what the Lord spoke to me is, is that we have to expect that he can do greater. God has done some really great things, guys. However, God says, I can do greater than that. But that's only contingent on how you believe. <laughs> so we shouldn't think that it's strange that God can do a whole lot better than even what we've already seen him do. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm just that good. The problem is, is that your faith hasn't come up enough so to me to do it. There's some things in here right now. That God says, I can do better than what you even think. And you've even seen personally. All you have to do is get in alignment and believe. 
Now, Job played for his friends, and that's how God blessed him. But it's amazing that he was praying for his friends, the ones that was talking about him when he was going through all that stuff. Job says, well, you know, I ain't going to focus on that. I'm just going to pray for you. So now we, we lose that argument of, God, did you see what they did to me? Doesn't matter. Because if we're really honest, that's all flesh. Your spirit ain't telling you that. We just want to be mad. I know, I've been there. I'm going to say it. You just want to be mad. You just don't want to like that. Ah, boy. God says we got to let that stuff go. If you want to see the greater, you can't have that. Our only focus should be getting people closer to Christ. Doesn't matter what happens in between. Now, I am not saying that we cannot be hurt and that there might be a time of healing. That is not what I'm saying. So hear me. That is not what I'm talking about. But some of this stuff is just petty. And ain't nothing we should even be worried about. Does that really even matter? It doesn't matter. Does it matter that that person took the last brownie and you wanted it? Uh, I'm making it a little light. But you understand what I'm saying. Some of this stuff is just like, really? Holding grudges. We got to stop holding grudges. I'm telling you. We got we to gotta let it go. It has no impact on eternity. And if it doesn't have any impact on that, then it shouldn't matter. Now, take the time that you need to get yourself together. But once you do, get it right and leave it there. Holding these grudges for 10, 20 years. Worrying about something somebody did 25 years ago. You can barely remember what they did, but you just remember how you felt. You weren't about how you felt 25 years ago. Not how blessed you are right now, though. We got to let that go. God wants to do greater. But to get greater, we got to get in the right position. And we got to have the right heart. This is a heart thing. We got to get it right. Now, here's the great thing. I think God is working on all of us. So I think we're moving in that direction. So hear my heart. I'm not, this is not a beat down. This is just saying, remember, because it's very easy to go back to what you used to be. <laughs> it don't take a second to get in the flesh. Because I got to fight every time somebody can't drive. I'm going to let you into my life. I can't stand it. I'm like, get out of the way. 
So, but I think sometimes we overemphasize sometimes the serious things, but we don't think about the little things. But the Bible tells us that the little foxes. <laughs> so it's just as much about the little things that happen as it is the big things. We got to. We can't think we all holier than thou coming up in here and we're doing all this good stuff and then we get mad when somebody cut us off. Can't do it. Work in progress. The problem is it's got to be progress, not stationary. Amen. <laughs> so the question I have for you today is, is that do you want to see God do greater? All right. All right. So we're, we're going I'm, I'm, I'm done. But we're going to give God some praise as we end this last one about the greater. So we're all going to stand at our feet and we're going to praise God for the greater. Because now he's shown us what we need to do. Now all we got to do is thank him for it. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message encouraged you. If you would like to learn more about C3 Church, please visit us in person in Indian Trail, North Carolina at 5805 West Highway 74, Indian Trail, North Carolina 28079 or on the web c3churchnc.org or on facebook.com forward slash c3indiantrailnc.org